You're listening to episode 141 of the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we talk about the gift of paradox and the problems of black and white thinking. Welcome to the Rebel Buddhist Podcast, where we explore how to use the science of psychology, Eastern spiritual practices like mindfulness and compassion, and the game-changing work of self-coaching so you can free your mind and free your life. I'm your host, Anna Verzoni. Hey, hey, crazy humans. Okay, I'm doing a replay this week because we just got off the last retreat for the fall cohort of the Adventure Mastermind on the Big Island of Hawaii. And wow, I mean, it was a magical time. Butterflies emerging from their chrysalis, literally and figuratively, plus whales and full breeches, spinner dolphins, amazing inner journeys, manta rays basically hugging us on our night snorkel, surfing, everyone standing up. I mean, it was epic. So while it was epic, I'm also needing to rest up. So I'm here in Cancun just for a few days before I head back to Alaska and drop into the snow again for a bit. And I chose this episode because I've heard from many people that this concept of holding paradox was really powerful for them. And I believe that with all the judgment and anger and hate that can arise when we have differing opinions... Um, either differing opinions within others or the kind of self-judgment that arises when we hold paradoxical beliefs within ourselves. And not to mention the gun violence going on in the United States. It's important to remind ourselves of the value of paradox and the problems that can happen with black and white thinking, the problems that come with believing there is a right and a wrong and good and bad, the ways that we lose out on connection and love and compassion when we can't embrace polarity and the discomfort that arises when we open to the possibility that there may be more than one truth. So I hope you enjoy this and I hope it is of benefit in helping us cultivate more tolerance and compassion for things outside of us, and for the seeming paradoxes that we hold within us. Hey, hey, my friends. I am so psyched to talk to you about what we're going to today. But before I do, I just want to explain why my voice is a little raspy. (laughs) And it's because this weekend, I wrapped up my amazing birthday month by spending it in the mountains amidst some granite peaks and turquoise alpine tarns with my girlfriends six feet apart. We all had heavy packs because we each carried our own tent, stove, food, everything. And it was just amazing. But this also meant that we did things like howl to the sky at night and to the moon and that we sang at the top of our lungs and I came back just (laughs) with this raspy voice. So anyway, thank you in advance for hanging in there with me. Anyway, I recently wrote an article in Elephant Journal called How to Drink Like a Buddhist, and it was focusing on how to help people drink less versus quit because not all people want or need to stop drinking completely, and it's specifically for people who aren't alcoholics, but people who want to cut back and create more freedom in their lives, right? Sort of like having more awareness in the matter and using mindfulness versus willpower instead of just blindly giving in to a habit, right? Sort of this middle way. 
And what I think is so fascinating about that is that I got so many comments from people that say, teaching people how to drink less is actually anti-Buddhist and has nothing to do with Buddhism. And, you know, Buddhists don't drink. Well, first, let me just tell you, there are lots of Buddhists that drink. Just because people say they are Buddhist doesn't mean they are perfect Buddhists. It's like, if a Christian lies, would you say you're not Christian because your 10 commandments say not to lie? No, you'd say, hey, maybe you got some work to do on that one. You know, same thing. So I'm not even sure that there is such a thing as a perfect Buddhist because the Buddha taught so widely about each of us finding our own path. But anyway, there are some people who are, spoiler alert, rebel Buddhists, right? Who are trying their darndest and want to tame their minds, but not their lives. And for many of those people, it means not sitting quietly in the Zen rock garden, eating vegetables, whispering prayers all day, and behaving like society wants them to behave. For some, there's a little bit of crazy in there. And I mean that in the best way possible. For some, their path includes swearing and wild adventures and you know, dare I say, a bit of whiskey. So I'm not saying that the Buddha would encourage, hey, go drink some whiskey. But I do know in my heart that if someone who drank whiskey but didn't want to stop went up to the Buddha and asked for some advice, he wouldn't say, um, come back and talk to me when you're ready to quit, right? Because like, what do you think he would do if someone said, hey, I'm Buddhist and I'm still working on the precept of no intoxicants. I'm not an alcoholic, but I do want to drink less because it's impacting my ability to be fully mindful in my life or to live my life to the fullest, but I'm not ready to stop altogether. Do you have any ideas? I mean, he wouldn't say, sorry, dude, I only talk with people who are willing to quit altogether. So come back to me when you're ready. No, not at all. He'd likely say something like, hey, start here. Try this mindfulness and meditation. See what you learn about your own mind, your own mind when you drink that, your own mind when you don't. See when you feel more free. See when you feel more present and alert. And you don't want to stop yet? Okay. So in the meantime, how can you do less harm to your body and still make the most of this precious life? And I believe this because this is how my amazing teachers responded to me whenever I came to them with things I wanted to improve about myself. They never said I was a bad Buddhist or not a Buddhist. They welcomed me and accepted me and met me where I was. I mean, I seriously believe with my whole heart that the Buddha wouldn't say, get away from me. You aren't a real Buddhist if you drink wine. (laughs) And anyway, I tell you, ain't nothing gets me excited more than some fundamentalist thinking. All right, so here we go. So people who think that something is either this or that, good or bad, right or wrong, or that people are good or bad, right or wrong. Well, that's a sign of something really rampant in our society right now. Black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking. And it's causing a lot of division and suffering and oppression and unhappiness, not just with the topic of drinking, but with so many things that involve people making judgments. It's also leading to a lot of people feeling like they can't be true to themselves. Like, I had a friend who was always torn about being very spiritual, but also very sexual and sensual. And for her, they were these two separate dichotomies, like I can't be one without the other. And the thing is, 
we did this great exercise where she embodied one and made the argument for that side, embodied the other and made the argument for that side and went back and forth and back and forth, really, you know, trying to get the other side to understand like, hey, uh, spiritual side, this is why being horny is so important, right? And like, hey, a wild, sensual woman, this is why, you know, your uh, regular spiritual practice is so important and going back and forth. And what's interesting is, They start off on opposite sides, but eventually you see that they overlap, right? And that in these two, if you imagine two separate circles overlapping a little, and there's like an almond shape in the middle, that's the mandorla. That's where the dance of being human happens, right? In that almond shape, in that mandorla, the place where our polarities overlap, You know, when I was a teenager, I watched my brain learning things on the daily and changing my mind so quickly about things like socialism and Marxism and what freedom really means and what I like to wear and the power of poets and the things we were discovering about the universe and the meaning of life and what happened after death. And it seemed like I was learning new things so quickly that I had no idea what I might believe tomorrow. So when someone asked me my opinion about something, I'd say, Well, today I think, dot, 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 and I prefaced it with that because I had no idea if I'd learned something that would change my mind. I was so open to change, so open to being wrong, so open to admitting I didn't know everything and learning something new. And I had no idea if I'd feel the same way about something tomorrow. And then after a while, I got used to being smart, knowing lots of facts, I'm being pretty right about things most of the time. And I studied and got my doctorate and two other graduate degrees. Like I'm on another one at Hopkins right now. And then somewhere along the way, I stopped using the phrase, well, today. And I think it was because I felt I knew the answer, the truth. But the thing is, this causes problems. It causes arguments that stem just from wanting to be right and wanting others to see me as right. It causes a closed mind and impatience, a lot of suffering, right? And when it happens within yourself, there's the pull of two opposing thoughts and believing that one of them has to be right when really the dance is in the middle. So there's two things going on, right? Believing that things are mutually exclusive and believing that there is a truth, a right or wrong. This is the work that most of us need to do right now. The reason why I know most of us need to do this is because last I checked, we all have human brains and some human brains love thinking in black and white with all or nothing thinking. There's this awesome episode of This American Life and it's called Switched at Birth, I think. And it's about how these babies were switched at the hospital And one came from a conservative family and one came from a very open and liberal family and the kids got switched into the respective families. But what's interesting is despite being raised in those different environments, the kid from the conservative family still in her own being within this liberal family fell into conservative tendencies. And the girl from the biologically, the liberal family being raised in this conservative family had her own liberal tendencies. And there's been a lot of research about the brain and about the wiring of the brain and how some people's brains enjoy black and white thinking. And they tend to follow more into a 
conservative line, right? Because things are more black and white there. It's very clear what's right or wrong. And some people enjoy a more gray area. Anyway, you should have a listen. It's super interesting. The reason many humans like all or nothing thinking is also because there's no cognitive dissonance when you have that kind of thinking. And if you're not sure what that is, I spoke about cognitive dissonance recently in episode 14, so you can check that out. But in short, it's the discomfort or tension that arises when you have two opposing thoughts. So with black and white thinking, with all or nothing thinking, there's no tension. We're off the hook. When we see things as either one way or the other, no other choices, we can just settle into the comfort of having there be no gray area. And we rest assured that we're right or more moral or that the other is wrong or a bad person. And when we make all or nothing statements like my day sucked or I'm so awful or life is bad, this keeps cognitive dissonance at bay. So there's a level of using it to escape. It's sort of like this indulgent and comforting experience, keeping the discomfort of two opposing thoughts away from us for now. But it also means we aren't being authentic to who we are, to our experience of the world and how the world is. Because if you haven't noticed, the world is not black and white. There are indeed polarities. And in between those, that's where we dance. That's where the magic happens. That's where most of us actually hang out, where most of the world exists. The mandorla between the polarities, where they overlap. So when we try to put everything into categories of it's either this or that, good or bad, good Buddhist or bad Buddhist, (laughs) there is a sort of indulgent comfort in it because it keeps us from feeling cognitive dissonance. But it also leaves us with not having to think critically or get more creative about the kind of life and world and reality that we want to manifest. You may think, This person is a good person, or this person is a bad person, or maybe you try to do that with yourself, like I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. But the deal is humans are not good or bad. Humans are good and bad. And most things in the world, especially things that come out of our minds, like thoughts and ideas and perspectives, they are not right or wrong. They are usually right and wrong. And if you want to go deep into this from a philosophical view, you can start down the rabbit hole of emptiness and what that means when we look at things. But that's beyond the scope of this podcast and my own brain right now, okay? So we can instead hold that truth of both of those things being true at the same time, that it's possible. And we can use our amazing human brain with that killer prefrontal cortex and we can grow and live more authentically more compassionately, with more empathy, and in my opinion, more alive. Because that black and white thinking causes us to freeze up and judge. It solidifies our thoughts and beliefs and makes us run and like hide, right? There was um, something I posted on Facebook and somebody said, I totally disagree with your opinion. Please unfriend me. We are from different worlds. And, you know, I was thinking, I don't even know who you are. And I'm pretty sure I didn't friend you because I don't really do that. But anyway, I replied, I said, I encourage you to stay friends with people who think differently from you and not to withdraw and hide 
and avoid people who think differently from you because that's the only way we grow. And I'm not sure what she did, but that was that. I didn't hear anything more. But look, if it all boils down to black and white or good and bad or smart or not smart or success or a failure, then we're going to take a hell of a lot fewer risks in life. We also have a lot less confidence. In my confidence training, I talk about how one of the best things you can do for confidence is to be transparent about who you are and to have nothing to hide. No secrets. To admit to being good and bad. Because then no one has shit on you. You're just being real. And that also inspires others to be real and honest. You know, Glennon Doyle just posted on Instagram how she just wasn't in the mood to write or create and had nothing inspiring to say. And she said something like, well, you're the ones who chose to follow a clinically depressed motivational speaker, right? (laughs) It's being real in the mandorla, in the tension between the polarities. When we understand that life is about both ends and everything in between, when we use and instead of or, that is a part of true freedom. Now, where this can get even more challenging is when it happens within your value system, and especially with values that you hold really tightly to. You likely have a lot of things that are non-negotiable for you, which is important when you're doing things like making important decisions, like choosing partners and teachers and philosophies you want to follow and all that. It's important when you have to make decisions between things. And sometimes those things seem opposed, even though you want both of them. So think of something that you have had to decide between that felt hard because it felt like if you chose one thing, you had to say no to the other, but you wanted the other too. Can you understand both sides of an idea before making a decision? Can you be with that tension, the cognitive dissonance and understand the perspectives and where both sides are coming from before you make a decision. And when you do make a decision about something you believe in or something that you value, can you still hold space for an alternative view? Or is there a complete intolerance for it? And in case you all think this is just like a problem with the conservative right or something, it's the same with the left. Like when I was at UC Santa Cruz, I used to tease that it was conservatively liberal because I was like afraid to shave my damn legs. (laughs) for like the wrath that I would get, right? So anyway, if you have intolerance for alternative views, does that serve you? And the answer may be yes in some situations, but at least ask the question. So for example, for me, I choose to believe that there are some behaviors that are good and bad, like compassion is good, hatred is bad. I choose to believe in some things generally being right and wrong, like honesty is right and lying is wrong. I believe there are instances of horrible victimization, right? And I also believe in the victim mentality that many people choose to adopt and that I adopted in a lot of areas of my life that didn't serve me. So I believe both that we need to acknowledge victims and take care of them and support them and treat them and that we need to, as victims in our own lives, take self-responsibility for not developing a victim mentality and re-victimizing ourselves. 
Those are not either or ideas. Those are not blaming the victim. You can have the idea of personal responsibility for yourself and also believe that victimization happened and have the idea of support and treatment being important. Another example is you can have the idea of giving to the world and of self-care. So one of the ideas that I have that is non-negotiable for me is the belief in human rights, right? For all beings and that we have a choice in how we show up in the world. And there are inalienable rights that we're born with that need to be protected. And these are non-negotiables for me, right? So for some people, when it comes to the economy and capitalism and personal responsibility and entrepreneurship and money, they believe in small government or that a healthy economy is the most important thing. They believe in a free market, trickle down three, all that. And they believe in that fiercely. And they can also say that they believe in human rights. So when it comes time to vote, they might have conflicting ideas about what to prioritize and they will have to choose. But it doesn't mean that they have to decide that they don't believe in one thing and that they only believe in the other. But they do have to decide, for example, how they're going to vote and what that priority is for them. Maybe for them, human rights tops everything. They may feel that without that, we have nothing else. So when that person votes prioritizing human rights, they may be voting against another value they have, but it doesn't mean that they can't hold the tension of two of them, even though they're prioritizing one over the other. They don't have to get rid of one for the other. And this comes up in relationships too. People stay in toxic relationships because they see someone as not bad. So even though they're treating someone poorly, right? Even though this person might be treating someone poorly since they don't fit into a clear category, maybe because they're quote, clearly trying, unquote, they get a pass until something clearly bad happens. But if we believe people are good and bad, then we get to decide whether we want that person in our life just because of how we want to be treated, not based on whether they fit into good or bad. And it keeps us from having to categorize that way too. So you can be in that tension between the polarities. You can see them as good and bad and hold that and be okay with that and make a decision from that place. But can you see how this requires more personal responsibility? This means you are making the call based on what you want, the life you want to live, the world you want to create. It's more vulnerable and requires more courage than putting someone in a box of either good or bad. This matters because if you're so bent on you being right or good, you'll miss that opportunity to evolve. You'll also miss the opportunity to listen deeply, to be curious and to learn. But there's that indulgent comfort again, right? Avoiding the tension. So instead of testing against your own value system, deciding what those values are, and then choosing from that place, you go the easy route and put it in a box, one or the other, all or nothing. I mean, this happened to me in one relationship. I was like, I don't like how this is going, but it's not bad. So I hung in there until something bad happened, right? I got cheated on. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, that's clearly bad. So now I'm out. <laughs> and I was like, we don't have to wait for that. All right. So here's the thing. If you're ready to be in the Mandorla, 
in the tension, then you start living a truly authentic life, a truly courageous life. And you get to be you, authentically you, without having to give up what you value or believe in just to put things in neat little boxes. Also, there's the growth part, right? When you look at people's progress throughout life, most people change ideas throughout their life if they're evolving, and that's a good thing. It doesn't mean that you're confused or a flake or a flip-flopper or a bad person. Like my example from when I would say, well, today I believe, it means that you learned something, you integrated it, you evolved. And in case you all didn't notice, that's kind of what us humans are supposed to do. For some reason, so many of us decided that things shouldn't change, especially our values. But if you're truly growing, chances are those will change too. This can show up in the decisions we make about what we do as humans in our day-to-day lives as well. You know, I'm a mom, I've got a family, I have clients, I'm running a company, We have COVID, I've got employees, right? My dog, there's a dog to walk, my friends, I don't nearly get to see them as much as I want to. And I'm the primary breadwinner, bills to pay, and I value social justice, and there's a shit ton of work that needs to happen right now, as always. And then there's me, my body, my need for sleep, my need for the mountains and meditation and retreats and massages and yoga. And I can get in a mentality that it's either for example, growing my business or prioritizing my self-care. But can that be an and instead? And I saw this a lot recently with people settling into apathy with the Black Lives Matters movement, feeling that they had to do everything so they did no self-care and burned out and said, oh, see, I can't do that and take care of myself. No, we need to learn to do both. So when people get into either or thinking, that's a great opportunity for coaching, for this work. So we have to decide what is the most important thing right now? And then we direct our action based on that. You'll know better what's the most important thing when you get clear about your values. Check out episode seven that dives into that. And I think eight might a little bit too. It's a much harder life to hold that tension It's not the all or nothing. It's not that someone is good or bad. It's that humans are both. And all humans are born worthy of love. And all humans are perfectly imperfect. I believe all humans are born with Buddha nature and that things happen to them that create distractions from that Buddha nature so that they can't see it and we can't see it in others. And maybe they're exposed at a young age or later in life to ideas that don't support compassion or loving kindness. And we all know other things happen in life as we go along. I mean, it's sort of crazy with the range of experiences that humans have and how resilient we are. But traumatic things change people. And what if we could see that? I love Ram Dass's story of how when humans look at a tree, we say, ah, yes, it makes sense that the tree is like that. It bends this way to get to the sunlight. And it grew that way because of this rock here. And he said, why can't we do that for humans? I want to start seeing humans as trees. This is all a part of the human experience, our tendencies. So I want to invite you to think about where you can dance in the mandorla, 
a bit more, where you can be in that tension between the polarities. Where do you have black and white thinking right now? And if it's with a person, where can you see them as a tree? Ah, yes, I see why you bend this way or reach that way. I see you and I give you the benefit of the doubt because we are all both. If you like what you heard, please spread the love and share it. And if you know you need some help with this and want to learn more about how to free your mind and free your life, go to rebelbuddhist.com and grab my free Rebel Buddhist Toolkit, where you'll receive a video training on cultivating resilience, access to the private Rebel Buddhist group where I do weekly live sessions on topics just like this, and a copy of the gorgeous Rebel Buddhist Manifesto, and more for free. That's rebelbuddhist.com.